Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. Hop lovers, put your attention to Maryland, where this month, brewers and growers there released a beer with a hop that is native to the state and unlike anything else found elsewhere. The brewer and the researcher behind it are here to share the story. And we'll get into it all in a moment. But first, please visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Beer Travelers, Brewer to Brewer, and the All About Beer podcast hosted by M. Souter and Don Tess simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do is supported by you. You can visit patreon.com slash allaboutbeer to help keep the content fresh. And a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. If you'd like to learn more about advertising on the show, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. And if you're a smoked beer fan, and of course you are, or at least you should be, Check out This Week in Rauk Beer. Search for the Facebook group or follow on Instagram and Twitter at TWRaukBeer. Last week in Maryland, state officials, brewers, growers, and enthusiasts gathered at the Milk House Brewery to taste some beers that have recently been brewed with the Monocacy Hop. As you'll hear from Tom Bars at Milkhouse Brewery at Stove Point Farm and Brian Butler at the University of Maryland's Extension, this hop has been in plain sight for 40 years. And because a farmer with an appreciation for the plant, as well as it being strategically located on the farm, it was able to grow and thrive until it was eventually tested. It's a remarkable story, and I'll let Tom and Brian walk us through it. They join me together from the brewery. Here's our conversation. All right. So, Brian, uh, Tom, let me start with you a little bit uh, as as uh, the guy with the brewery. What is the state of Maryland beer as we are still sort of at the beginning of, of 2023? Is there is there a cohesive thread that that ties your state's breweries together? Um, well, we we. Uh... I guess we're about as cohesive as any other state's uh, collection of breweries. We are over a hundred breweries in the state of Maryland now. Um, and we are actually a fairly, we're a small state anyway. And so we have a fairly um, close uh, cooperative uh, organization, the Brewers Association of Maryland, um, pretty tight knit uh, group of cooperating competitors, I call ourselves. Um, the state of beer uh, is growing in Maryland. Actually, in spite of COVID, it's growing faster than we all imagined it would. Um, and uh, uh, and you see the same styles here that you see in every other state in our country. You know, you have the hazies and you have the traditionals and you have um, the milkshakes and, you know, you name it, we have it uh, by brewers here. We have several brewers specialized in uh, wild yeast uh, uh, beers. And uh, so we have it every, we have everything here. And Brian, how would you describe for those who are on the, the, the outside of your state's borders, um, what the, agricultural industry is like in Maryland? Well, the agricultural industry in Maryland, um, its primary industry is the poultry industry. 
um, followed by um, cash grains, corn, soybeans, wheat, um, then the nursery industry. The, that Those three entities make up the bulk of Maryland agriculture, but the state is always changing. It's, as Tom mentioned, a small state. And so many of the larger farms get larger, but then there are many smaller farms that have broken off and they're looking for alternative options. They're looking at organic, they're looking at fruits and vegetables, direct marketing, sale of meats, things like that, where there's a little bit closer to the consumer. Um, and that's the part of agriculture that I have focused on a lot of my career. And that's where there's a lot of growth going on. There's still large commercial agriculture, but we have this ever growing contingent of people that want to get involved in agriculture that are looking for ways to either add profitability to their farm through a new enterprise or that are just getting started and looking for opportunities. So how does hops figure into that? Well, hops um, became a bit of a thing as the, the laws changed in the state of Maryland, allowing farm breweries and allowing more local breweries to exist, um, there was uh, a very quick entrance into this idea that we're going to grow hops for all these local breweries and this is going to be great. The problem was that those hops were bred to grow in the Pacific Northwest on the high desert, only irrigation, very little rain, 4% humidity, very low insect and disease pressure. We brought those here, our production numbers didn't go well, it was very challenging to grow the plants and it didn't really take off. And so there was a surge in say 2014, 15, 16, and by 18, 19, 20, a lot of those people were giving up on their hops yards, the few diehards remain. And the diehards, what were they, what were they growing? Well, we, I'm one of the diehards <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we, we started growing uh, Chinook and Cascade and Brewer's Gold and um, Southern Cross. We got some and uh, the mainstays, uh, none of us obviously could grow Citra or Simcoe or Amarillo. Um, uh, without a contract, obviously, and none of us were big enough to get one of those. Um, so we tried those traditional hops that were popular starting in the, you know, in the beginning of the craft, craft brewery industry. Um, and a couple of those are actually manageable in Maryland. Chinook and Cascade actually uh, do fairly well here um, with significant more uh, chemical and uh, manual effort than they have to do on the upper Midwest. Um, but they do grow well here and they we get a, uh, a harvest every year from those particular varieties. Brewer's Gold also does well here. Um, there are varieties that will not grow here. I don't care how much you throw at them. Um, <laughs> we, we have very humid, cool springs and very humid, hot summers um, and downy mildew and powdery mildew uh, are are two major problems in Maryland. Um, and so you have to spray a lot, which is expensive. Uh, 
yeah. And, but so the diehards are still doing that, and we're still doing that, and and all up and down the, the East Coast. Um, uh, and back in the day, in the 1800s, um, Maryland and Pennsylvania and Virginia and especially New York mm -hmm. were, were the center of the hop industry in America. Um, and then uh, downy mildew and powdery mildew showed their ugly heads and then prohibition hit and the hop industry in the East died. Uh, and during that time, it had moved to the Pacific Northwest where they didn't have those problems. And so the hop industry died um, until uh, approximately 20, 25 years ago in New York, a group of guys um, decided that they could grow hops in what used to be the center of the hop culture in America in Madison County, New York. And they're still growing there. And the New York Hop Growers is a pretty significant um, small scale uh, specialty crop um, growing area. Uh, and so we're still struggling though, honestly, um, uh, with, with the uh, hop industry. On the other side of the beer equation, you can grow grains pretty well in Maryland. Um, and we have uh, two relatively new malting operations here in Maryland for malting barley and wheat uh, and rye for both the brewing industry as well as the uh, spirits industry. Um, and we're hoping that our project that you haven't really asked us about yet. I'm, I'm getting there. We're built, we're building the narrative. Okay. So I'm not I'm so certainly we, not so, ignoring. I brought you guys here to talk about it. So we um, have, we have, we have sort of started in the last, I'd say 10 years have started it on a small scale a beer centric form of agriculture here in America. So you're talking about how there is, uh, or it, it, some of the, the varietals that were doing well out in the Pacific Northwest um, uh, didn't necessarily translate or have a tough time translating. Um, but it turns out that you didn't actually have to look to the Pacific Northwest, that you could have just looked to uh, some existing fields in if Maryland. We, if we had only known. <laughs> All right. So tell me. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I can I can hear it. You guys are chiming at the bit to talk about this. So tell me about this Maryland variety of hops. So um, I was at an agriculture related con related conference about ten years ago and was approached by a farmer um, named Ray Ediger, who was a retired veterinarian here in uh, Frederick County, Maryland. And he said that he had hops growing on his farm, that they had been there for years. And he thought that maybe I would be interested in coming and checking them out. So we went and checked them out. In fact, uh, uh, my fellow brewer worked with me and um, another hop grower. We went out to Ray Ediger's farm and found this monstrous hop growing next to his chicken coop. In fact, it had taken over his chicken coop and a fence next to the chicken coop and a big tree and another building. And it was this monstrous. Were, uh, were they were they trellised or just sort of growing on nope, just, whatever just they could grab onto? It was not trellised. It was growing in um, pretty much a wild state. And he knew he moved to the farm in the early seventies, and he recognized it as a hop plant. 
because he grew up in Oregon. And when he was a kid, he used to pick hops to make extra money during the summers in Oregon. Okay. Uh, by hand. And this gentleman is about 86 years old right now. Uh, so he picked hops when he was a kid in Oregon. Um, anyway, so he saved this hop because it provided shade uh, for his chicken run uh, next to his chicken coop. And he liked hops and liked the way it looked and likes the way they grow because he was familiar with it. So he kept it, uh, but did, never made beer with it, never did anything with the hop other than. He, he wasn't that. even harvesting them? Nope, not even harvesting. Okay. So it's he just a nice seasonal. Did, yeah. Yeah. So he did tell me one time he had told a, a woman from the Dominican Republic about this plant. And she came out to pick some cones to make uh, Dominican hop bread, um, which apparently is a thing. And uh, she would come out every once in a while, pick hops to make bread with. Huh. So anyway, we went and picked some of the cones and we made some experimental beers. But quite honestly, John, um, because we did have a small hop industry in the 1800s, I thought maybe this was some leftover cluster variety. Uh, from, you know, which is what was the main hop that was grown in Maryland back in the 1800s was cluster uh, from which was brought over by, you know, the English and German settlers in yeah. our area. And so I, I wasn't super excited about it. I thought it was kind of cool. It did. We used it to dry hop cask beers and, um, you know, occasionally we would use it to dry hop another light beer. Uh, but never got super excited about it until Brian Butler got involved with his project at the University of Maryland Research Farm. So, Brian, tell me about how you became involved in this. So, in 2015, we built a hop yard uh, at the Western Maryland Research and Education Center uh, in Keatesville. And we were just as universities sometimes are, um, we were a little bit on the backside of this surge in interest in, in the hop industry. So we planted 12 varieties um, that, that had been sort of bantered around that we thought were being grown um, to begin a research trial, basically just a variety trial, to look at these hops and catalog what were the insect problems? What were the disease problems? What were the fertility requirements? How should they be irrigated? What sort of trellis would work? Um, and then could they, could they be harvested? Could we come up with anything of value? Um, in 2016, we put a call out to the brewers asking for breweries to come out and see what we were doing. And we didn't get a very big response. Uh, oh. We only had a couple people show any real interest, but Tom was one. And Tom came out and said, hey, you know, this is a nice hop yard. We should harvest these. We should make a beer. And so we began working with each other in 2016. And a couple of years later, Tom said, hey, there's this, this hop. Um, do you want to try it in a trial? And I had a space. We had by then expanded to 24 varieties and had a half an acre of hops at the research farm. And we were collecting data. Uh, we were processing them by this time. Uh, we're making our own pellets. Um, we're moving forward. The project's going pretty well. Um, things are looking pretty exciting. Um, then in 2020, um, we, we thought we were going to be sort of culminating that experiment. And as if 2020 wasn't bad enough, yeah. um, the hop yard fell down in late July of 2020. We had a storm that lasted 10 minutes. And we lost 
all of the hops, the whole hop yard went to the ground uh, with straight line winds. Uh, it was a mess. So all of our information on this mystery hop was lost for the first time to wow. me. And uh, kind of frustrating and kind of upsetting. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about it was another family had given me a hop and said it was unique and said it was different. And I had had it genetically evaluated uh, at the germplasm lab out in Corvallis, Oregon with the USDA. It had turned out, though, that that variety was centennial. It wasn't unique. Okay. And Wait, let me just back like, up for a second. What, 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 why did that family seem to think that it was unique? Just because it was growing they there? Had the, they had the same story that Tom had, that this has been on our farm. This has been here a long time. This okay. is unique. Uh, but they had made beer. I can't explain really how this happened. But the science doesn't lie, and sure. the, the genetic fingerprint told us this was Centennial, which was released by the USDA in 1972. Gotcha. Okay. So with this other hop, I was sort of, I felt like I'd already put my hand on the stove and knew it was hot, and I had called <laughs> a lot of favors in to, uh, to get that genetic evaluation done. But after the hop yard fell down and we had lost pretty much everything and it seemed like the project was going to end, um, I took a flyer and I begged my colleagues to please, that I'm not a crazy person, that I really am, I'm genuine. I have one more variety I'd love for you to, talk to, to test. Would you please do it? And they did. And it came back that it was completely genetically unique. And this is when the story really begins again, is that we knew we had something that was very different, but we really hadn't grown it yet. We really hadn't produced volume. The hop had never been in a commercial setting. So we went to work building a hop yard, propagating the plants from the original plant. We established a hop yard in 21 and in 22, we planted our plants and grew our first crop of what is now known as the Monocacy hop. On a, on a somewhat commercial scale, uh, or at least under commercial conditions uh, at the research farm. Um, and those are the hops that were then processed and went into the beer that Tom has made. I, I wanna talk about um, you know, the beers and how it presents, but um, just I'd love to know just a little bit more about the genetic makeup of it, just because um, when you got these results back that, this is unlike anything else that was in the database. Um, wh what did the what did the testing reveal? And then what was that like for the two of you to to have that information of my goodness, this this really is unique. First reaction was holy shit. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. a good reaction. Well, it was actually, and you said this was okay. It was actually yeah. like. Jesus fucking Christ, can you believe something actually has gone right finally? <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. That was the first reaction. Then Brian spoke to the scientist at the USDA lab. Um, and what did she say, Brian? Oh, she was so excited. And she was so enthusiastic because so rarely do you come up with something that is unique. Now, I can't tell you the... the everything because it's it's not completely clear but what it did is 
this hop sort of went out on its own. It does have some wild hop in it, but then the rest of it is just completely different. And it, um, we really can't explain it. It is not a native plant. It, 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 the story will never really be known. It, it was an open pollinated. Um, was this a, a chance seedling? Was this brought here at some point by someone? Um, why this was there? Um, suffice to say, it was very unique that a gentleman from Oregon who had picked hops as a child ended up buying in that farm and knew what that plant was because how many people would have known what a hop plant was in 1972 sure. in Maryland. Of course. Um, but it, it, and then just let it also flourish as opposed to saying, I'm going to cut this down and put something else in, or, you know, this is, yeah, not exactly. what I want on my property. Yeah. There, there's a lot of exactly. things that went right. Yeah. He, he, it, it was very advantageous because in the summer it will grow up over the chicken house and provide shade. And then in the winter it dies back and then lets the light in. And then, you know, they get a little bit more warmth in there, but during the summer, this thing grows up over there. And so, you know, it, it was kind of serving a purpose there. Um, but when we started growing it in, in, on the research farm, the beauty of this plant, and I think what's so exciting to me as a horticulturalist is, with the plants bred for the high desert in the Pacific Northwest, they're not breeding for resistance or tolerance to a lot of the disease and insect issues that we have in the mid-Atlantic. This plant has been growing here for a long time and has developed or just had genetically tolerance or resistance to things like downy mildew. They're very tolerant to two-spotted spider mites, which cause tremendous damage on the other varieties. And so we can raise this hop with significantly less chemical inputs. It doesn't require as much fertility. It doesn't require as much water. It doesn't require as much disease management. It doesn't require as much insect or mite management. So that's very exciting to me from the horticulture side that we're looking at a lower input plant that's more sustainable from an environmental perspective. Which is exciting for me because we think theoretically it will be a lot easier for me and other Maryland and mid-Atlantic growers to make this hop profitable for a hop grower. So. And yeah, and that's got to be when you hear all of those things, Tom. It, 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 having been growing the varietals that you were and going through the frustrations that you were, to have a hop that is resistant to the litany of problems that you already laid out, it, does that help you as a farm brewer breathe a little bit easier? Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to this fall, if everything goes well. I hope to plant um, a significant number of these in my current hop yard. Uh, and then if they go, I'm 69 years old, so I don't know how much longer I'm going to be doing this, but, um, you know, I, and if, if everything goes well uh, this year and next year, maybe even expanding more. And we have other growers in Maryland who are interested in experimenting with this hop on a commercial scale as well um, that we hope that we hope things continue to go as well as they have been, that we can partner with to continue to collect data, um, especially knowing how interesting a beer it makes. So let's, let's actually, before that, I, 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 cause I do want to talk about the interesting beer that it makes, but I, I, I find it interesting that in the beginning, 
when Brian's inviting folks down, brewers down uh, to, to talk about um, Maryland hops, that there wasn't a lot of interest. But now that there is a native hop, there does seem to be maybe a little bit more. It, is, is the allure of local appealing to folks or I'm not saying yeah. folks are jumping on the bandwagon now that you guys have been uh, uh, the lifelong fans here, but. Uh, well, a couple of, there's a couple of things that have happened over the years that works both for us and against us. So there were a lot of little hop growers in Maryland who would show up at flying dog brewery in Frederick or at heavy seas brewery in Baltimore with buckets of nasty hops and say, Hey, I've got hops. Would you, would you want to buy them? And Hugh system would look at them and be like, no, not those. <laughs> and um, so the, the baby hop industry in Maryland um, kind of put brewers off actually quite a bit. And there were a few serious growers who did a really nice job, had very nice product. Um, and those and those growers are still selling hops, um, and Maryland brewers are still using those hops, but there ain't a hell of a lot of it out there. So the that other thing sense. that has happened, so so Maryland brewers are like, oh no, not more Maryland crappy cascades uh, or whatever. But the other thing that has happened in the last, even before COVID, was that our customers are more interested in buying local, not just food, but beer as well and wine. So the buy local movement has grown. And then after COVID, it has grown even more significantly. So Maryland brewers are starting to get the idea. If you have Maryland ingredients in your beer, you can promote that. Um, and it's one more tool in your toolbox for selling beer. So we think now, I wouldn't call it a bandwagon yet, but I think we're getting um, enough interest from brewers. Uh, we're we're going to have about 75 people here tomorrow for this beer release, including a lot of Maryland brewers, as well as, you know, University of Maryland bigwigs and USDA bigwigs, um, some politicians. Um, Maryland Department of Agriculture. Maryland Department of Agriculture. Uh, the Secretary so of Agriculture. We'll be here and Commerce. And so we... So all of a sudden we're like, oh hell, we better do this right. Um, so we'll see. You know, we're still in the data collection process. We're we're just at the beginning of our second year of this grant um, that's allowing us to collect this data. Um, we hope to extend the grant at least one more time. Um, but we think we see a movement starting. I'm not going to call it a bandwagon. I'm not going to call it a tidal wave. But there is a movement starting. Um, of people who may be more interested in not only in using this hop, but in growing this hop. Um, if it in fact turns out to be easier than growing the Northwest Pacific Northwest hop varieties. Yeah. So we see it coming, we think. So what, when you, when, when you add it to a beer, when you use this to make a beer, and I, I imagine that the name comes from uh, the civil war battle, the, well, it's actually the river. So the, the river. Okay. There is a river, the Minoxi River. My farm and Brian's farm and Dr. Ediger's farm are all in the Minoxi watershed. So actually, Dr. Ediger suggested this name. 
Um, so technically it's humulus lupulus variety monocacy. Um, and so the, the Civil War battle was named after the river, actually. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I should have so known. That's, yeah, so that's where the name comes from. Um, the, the North always named their battles after the closest river or creek, and the South named their battles after the nearest town. Huh. So okay. the, battle of, the Battle of Sharpsburg is what the Southerners called it. The Battle of Antietam is what the Northerners called it. <laughs> That's just a fun fact for the podcast. That is. That is. I feel like we need a spinoff podcast now, but um, <laughs> uh, good to know. All right. So when you're putting this in the beer. What well, is let it, me tell you a little bit about on? the hop first. So All what, right. So what we did, so after we got this thing genetically tested, we decided we needed to get it tested for alpha acids and oil content and all that stuff that a brewer needs to know uh, before they decide how to use this in a beer. So we sent it off to AAR labs in Wisconsin and they did a, a thorough, actually we got six different tests or we tested six different samples of this hop at AAR in Wisconsin. And the hop came back with a really weird alpha beta acid mix. It's 2.77% alpha acid and 4.3 to 5 beta acid. Um, it's very high in myrcene and carophyllene. Uh, and it's a really, so it's got a really weird oil profile, really low alpha acid. Um, the alpha beta acid ratio is pretty weird as well. Um, and the, uh, so the, the, the myrcene and the, uh, the actual cones fresh off the vine have a super, super hoppy aroma, really strong hop aroma. Okay. But it looks like. It looks like and brews like an old Central European noble hop, a Sazer or Howard Tower type of hop. Hmm. Um, the aroma that you get in a light beer is very floral, earthy, spicy. It's if, Imagine walking into a floral shop. You get the floral, you get the earth, you get the green, verdant green, um, all in one hop. And it, it, I've never actually uh, encountered such a hop at all, ever, in my career. And I've been brewing I, since 1972. Yeah, I was going to ask if, if there's anything that, that you felt was, was comparable that's out there right now. The, the closest thing I can come, it's, it's almost like what what first struck me, it's almost like um, uh, a mixture between a Sazer and a Southern Cross. So you have sort of a fruity floral and a spicy earthy all in one. Uh, and we made three different beers with it. And so those characteristics come out a little bit different. We made a very light American style lager um, where the floral notes come out just incredibly powerfully. Uh, we made a Vienna lager where the malt and this the floral notes in the hop and the earthiness meld perfectly together. And then we made a pale ale where we used Maryland grown 
Chinook as the bittering hop, and we use the Monocacy as a finishing hop at Flame Out and in the Whirlpool and dry hopping. So um, it's been a really weird hop to work with. Um, you're not going to, we, I mean, we use it as a bittering hop in, in the two lagers as well as the finishing hops. Um, but you could only use it as an all-around hop in really light beers, maybe a little Belgian uh, potter's beer or, or uh, a light lager, American-style lager or a Pilsner, and it works beautifully in those beers. I think you could make a really cool, um, if, you were, if you were crazy, you could make a really cool, hazy IPA using a lot of this hop where you don't need to add that bitterness. Um, uh, I don't have enough of the hop to try that, uh, but maybe next year. Yeah. As you both look forward, what does what does the future look like for, or the potential future look like for, for this hop? From a brewer's perspective, um, you know, brewers are always looking for the next thing, as you know. Um, you know, the Citrus Simcoe, Amarillo craze, I think, is changing a little bit. The, the, um, the IPA uh, craze is starting to fade a little bit, and um, traditional lagers are becoming more and more popular. Uh, I think that um, this hop could be, especially on the East Coast, where if people can grow this successfully commercially and it becomes available, I'll think... I can see this becoming a popular hop for those up and coming lighter beers uh, that, although I think, you know, I think that a creative brewer will be able to come up with something that's totally unique that I haven't even thought of yet, that this hop would be appropriate for. Yeah. So with the, so the future of this hop is twofold. From a brewer's point of view, let's keep playing with it because it's really cool. From an agricultural point of view, I'll start, then Brian can finish. Um, we're hoping to collect enough data to see whether or not this can be grown successfully and sustainably in a commercial on a commercial scale here in the um, mid-Atlantic, uh, starting in Maryland, to give you know, farmers an opportunity to have another cash crop in their, in their arsenal. Yeah, Brian, what, would you like to add to that? Sure. Um, this is this is probably, let's see, one, two, three, probably year four or year five of an overnight success story, which isn't <laughs> quite fully written yet. But the exciting thing is, one, we identified the hop. Then we had it evaluated and found it truly is unique. Then we started growing the hop. And we found so far that we can grow it and grow it very well and that it thrives in a production system. Then the next step was, okay, is this going to be Canadian red vine and the beer is going to taste like garlic and onions, or is this going to be a delicious beer? That's where our brewery partners, Tom et al., are proving at this point that it does appear that it has the capacity to do that. So then in 2023, our goal is to continue the work and to begin to propagate and now start to move this out onto commercial farms. 
and it's still very early, but I think the future's bright. And there's a lot of potential here for the eastern part of the country, um, particularly the mid-Atlantic, to have something that they can grow that is both sustainable and produces a, a high quality productive plant and a high quality hop that they can actually make beer with. It's really exciting. It's, uh, it, it, Brian, as you think about al alternative crops and you think about you know the, the, the work that you're doing, uh, beer, I think, can bring a lot of attention um, to agriculture. Um, can this potentially be a catalyst for other ingredients as well of, of having, of spurning on you know, a new generation of, of, of farmers or folks looking for, you know, larger chances to incorporate local into their to their food and drink? I think absolutely, because I think that a rising, a rising tide lifts all boats. And to this point, the hop component of beer in Maryland as a local ingredient has been a big challenge. People have been doing it, but it's tough. But now, if we can get a hop in there that people can grow and that does produce a lot of hops and does produce a high quality hop, maybe there will be more incentive or more people that want to try growing barley and wheat and, and malting and bringing that on and then also other ingredients as well. So yes, I think this could be sort of a, a catalyst for change in developing this industry and picking up kind of going back almost to 2012 and rebooting this thing. Uh, but as Tom mentioned, we sort of have to get past that first impression where, where the industry didn't really get off on the best foot at first. This is all really exciting. I'm, I'm eager to one, try it, and then two, to, to, to see where it all goes. Um, being mindful of, of, of your time, was there, there anything about this or, or the initiative or, or you know, the, the, the larger scope of it all that, that I didn't ask that you all wanted to share? Well, I think probably it's important to note that um, we are still in the data collection process. Uh, we feel very positive about where we are in the process. We're hoping to get an extension of our grant to continue study. Um, we might even try to write in uh, uh, working with one of our local universities on the east, um, uh, seeing if this is appropriate for a breeding kind of hop for its disease resistance qualities. The other thing we didn't actually say is that we found that this hop is super productive. Uh, it was producing approximately two pounds per plant in the first year, which is dry weight, which is unheard of. Yeah. That's and so, so now to be Paul Harvey and the rest of the story is we only averaged 0.87 because the plants were so big, we couldn't get them through the harvester. But we're, but, but we're working on that. We're working on that. It's all, it's all coming. But as Tom said, we are still collecting data. So, the jury is this, they have not come back and they have not, you know, said this is what it is. But after many years of failing, after many years of struggling, um, we are, we feel like we're on a path with this plant that we really might be able to make some significant change. The other thing about this plant is we donated it 
to the National Germplasm Lab in Corvallis, Oregon. So this plant can be used by other universities or propagators or breeders to do with what they wanted. We wanted all of the information that we got from this. Everything from this plant is for everyone. We want Maryland to be noted as where it's come from. And Maryland is doing the lion's share of the heavy lifting here at first, but the plant will be available to anyone who wants it. That's amazing. That's, that's, I love the altruism behind it. That's, that's great. Well, gentlemen, thank you for taking some time and sharing the story of what's happening uh, in your state right now, but especially with this hop. Um, this is a this is a real pleasure, and I appreciate the time. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks, John. My thanks to them both. It's amazing the secrets that this planet still holds for us. Do you have a guest suggestion, questions, comments, concerns? Let me know by emailing. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. That's also how you can get in touch with, you know, social media stuff. If you want to uh, go visit our social media channels for All About Beer, we are simply at All About Beer on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A reminder, go visit the website. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and you can read great new content as well as the archives going back to 1979. One more time, All About Beer has a podcast channel. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. And as for the show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>